My guest today is Joni Street. Thank you everyone for joining us. Joni is a pharmacist and the diversion officer at a common spirit facility in Omaha. Welcome, Joni. Thank you, Terry. Absolutely. Let's, oh, great. Let's start with you telling us a little bit about your pharmacy journey. How did you get where you are today? Oh, goodness. Okay, so I decided to go to pharmacy school kind of because my big brother is a pharmacist. I think that's kind of how I got into this. Um, and then I started, I actually started in retail for a little bit. Um, and then I came and started working overnights in a hospital. And I ve became very um, autonomous on overnights and always kind of liked problem solving. And so um, eventually after I was kind of ready to be off of overnights, I ended up working in the OR satellite pharmacy uh, for a number of years and worked very closely with our anesthesia friends, um, was down in the, in the uh, depths with all of our uh, narcotics that we see all the time and was frequently trying to help solve discrepancy issues or identify if there was, you know, something going on, uh, you know, not to lay anything on our anesthesia friends, but as we know, we've got to, we've got to keep a close eye on things and be there to help them out. So um, I kind of started there and then I took a supervisory position and because I kind of had an interest in this, I started doing um, some of our diversion monitoring and just kind of had a knack for it. Okay, and it kind of rolled from there. Yeah, mm -hmm. that sounds in some ways a little bit similar, especially the pharmacy school. I wasn't planning on going to pharmacy school and I kind of changed my mind and started to panic in my sophomore year. And my roommate at the time was a pharmacist and she's like, well, why don't you go to pharmacy school? And I'm like, well, what do they do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's how that started, which is unusual. I don't know, I, I suspect you're a little bit like me where most of my decisions are very well thought out. I right. don't really do a whole lot of, okay, you know, and that <laughs> one was a, okay. Right, um, right. It actually worked out very well. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we often focus on diversion monitoring when we're talking about this, this subject, right? How do we monitor? How do we find those healthcare professionals that are working impaired or diverting from the workplace. We do have discussions on mitigation, such as making sure we have policies and procedures in place so that we can define those parameters and hold people accountable, or getting automated dispensing machines to you know, make things a little bit easier to track or to make sure our witnesses are really witnessing, right, to prevent right. that. But I think we sometimes forget that mitigation can start much earlier and that is what Joni and I are gonna talk about today. Joni's hospital has done a lot of work surrounding minimizing the amount of opioid prescriptions, opioids that are prescribed within the hospital setting. And that is really important because every controlled substance order on a patient profile allows somebody access, right? So Joni, tell us about some of the work that you have done in this area with your facility. Okay, um, 
I would say probably the biggest thing that we talked about that we've talked about before um, is the enhanced recovery after surgery protocol. Um, we do an ERAS protocol. We've put, put that into place and we've gotten that pretty widely used on most of our cases. And so just to give you a little bit more background on that, the ERAS protocol is, is very all-encompassing. It, it's from, you know, having a visit uh, before surgery, letting the patient know what the expectations are, that what kind of surgery you're having and what to expect as far as pain and recovery go. Making sure that if they have obstructive sleep apnea, they're actually on a CPAP. If they have diabetes, are, you know, are your sugars under control or at least under control as much as possible? Um, different things like that. And then um, just to like carb loading before the surgery, making sure that they take enough fluids on board, but not too much fluids and not too much salt um, so that they're not fluid overloaded. And it basically takes the patient from pre-op and then we go into the intraoperatively um, and, you know, doing more pain blocks with local anesthetics instead of just pouring in more opioids, for example. We really have used a multimodal pain approach that kind of acts from various different sites. So you might have non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that you're giving. You might give Tylenol scheduled, but it's important to do it scheduled so that you continue to stay on top of things. I have been a pharmacist for long enough that I re remember when when we called pain the fifth vital sign and it was m important to stay on top of the pain. Well, we know that we don't wanna do that by just pouring opioids and pour more, more and more opioids onto the, onto the patient. But it, we do wanna make sure that if we can try hitting that pain from various angles, that's gonna help as much as possible. So there's, like I said, there's, you know, neuropathic pain, um, we, we do, um, you know, gabapentin for some of our patients. We do um, Celebrex for, or Celecoxib for the non-steroidals, um, acetaminophen, et cetera. So doing a multimodal pain approach is very helpful. We also utilize a lot of um, IV lidocaine um, and IV ketamine as well, um, low-dose ketamine and um, that has been very helpful. Also magnesium is part of that protocol as well. And so um, using that in conjunction with trying to do more pain blocks instead of you know, more regional anesthesia, instead of necessarily just going full blown, here's a bunch of fentanyl, for example, um, that's something that we've really been involved with doing. And then once the patient gets out of surgery, we really worked with like, our post-op order sets, for example, we used to have a ton of opioids on the PACU order sets or the, uh, the recovery room order sets. And uh, we, really, we really minimized the amount of opioid and made sure that we're trying other things before we automatically jump to the fentanyl or the dilated injectables and that kind of thing. So um, that's been where a lot of our focus has been. And then obviously once we get into the post-op period, once the patient gets up to the floor, uh, we, we also wanna look at the order sets for those post-surgical patients to make sure that we don't go right from 
okay, we were, we were doing a great job in recovery. Now they're up on the floor and they can get whatever they want. Um, that was some, that was actually a learning that we had. We had a residency, a pharmacy resident do a, a project on it and found that the, you know, the amount of opioids that we were giving in the recovery room was, was remarkably lower. But then once the patients went to the floor, it was kind of back to the same old status quo. So um, continuing those uh, non-steroidals, the Tylenol ordered around the clock, um, dexamethorphan is another one that we use quite frequently. Um, using those um, medications as well before just automatically jumping to the opioid um, has been really helpful. And then different things like PTOT, we want, you know, early mobility. It makes a big difference in getting the patient out of here, making sure that they're not um, doing all we can to prevent post-op nausea and vomiting. Um, if they get up and get moving, or if they're not having nausea and vomiting, they're a lot more likely to get up and get moving. If they're getting up and get moving, then their gut's going. Their gut's going, they're less likely to get an ileus, et cetera. I mean, it just goes all down the line. So um, similar with like the uh, fluid overload and making sure their blood sugars are controlled, they're gonna heal better if their sugars are under control. So kind of looking at the whole patient and trying to make sure that we're doing all we can to, um, you know, get all of the, get all of the, um, get everything in, in line, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, there is so much more to just, you know, going into surgery for whatever it is that you need and then you're out and, you know, but there's so much to it that, um, yeah, like you said, everything, if they're have nausea and vomiting, they don't want to get up. If they don't get up, they don't heal well. Their pain lasts longer, the, you know, all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, so much. There's so many. I mean, and it's so much yeah. like normothermia. That's another thing that we've really learned about how important it is to make sure that that patient's temperature stays high enough so that it doesn't if it doesn't get too low. Then you're you're going to do a lot better. You're less likely to get a surgical site infection, etc. So there's a ton of ton of different research that has gone into the ERAS protocols, etc. Yeah, some of that stuff I'd never even you mentioned carb load and fluids mm -hmm. and now this, mm -hmm. uh, the thermia, yeah. yeah, I don't know anything about any of that, but yeah, there's <laughs> a lot that goes into it. Right. I'll, my I'll my anesthesia friend. I got out of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My anesthesia friends have been very good actually about, about educating, you know, a variety of people because a lot of times, you know, all of us kind of get into our set ways and, uh, we have the way we've always done things. And so we kind of started like one by one, specialty by specialty saying, okay, hey guys, how about we start on all of our colon cases? We start using this fancy new ERAS. Uh, actually, it's kind of funny because I can't, I can't see the Taylor Swift tour, which is the ERAS tour without thinking it's the ERAS tour. Cause I have had ERAS on my brain for like so many years. So it's just, it's, it's kind of funny. Oh, Taylor Swift is doing the ERAS tour. Oh, no, okay, no. You know, I, that happens to me too, actually. I was in, spend time in California and there's a city called Ocean Beach. And I don't know what sign I saw, some festival or something. And I'm like, an OB obstetric festival. It's like, Oh, ocean <laughs> beach, but how we put it in our, like, right. this is our zone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I was going to ask you about that. It's like, how did you have to work pretty hard to get people on board? 
Um, so we'll start with anesthesia because there's the nursing component of it too. Yes. Was it their idea or did you have a champion that kind of started this? We did. We had some anesthesia champions that really came in and said, you guys, we're missing the boat on this. This is something that we need to be doing. And they worked really hard to get buy-in. And it, it wasn't easy. I mean, even from us, like we never ran ketamine drips before in the pharmacy. And then we've got these anesthesia providers coming to the OR pharmacy saying, I want a ketamine drip because I want to run it for a while. And it's like, well, what do you doing with that i'm i'm used to using ketamine show for me like, the literature <laughs> yes i'm used to using ketamine for like an out of control patient that we need to throw a dart at them and try to get them to calm down so that we can get them back into the room or whatever so it's just like relearning some of this stuff and and um so yeah they i'm not going to say it was easy but we had some really good anesthesia champions that that came in and then they were willing to really a lot of times with providers it's they accept recommendations better from other providers. So really it was our anesthesia team going to each of the surgery teams and saying, like, this is what we think we can do. Give us a try. Let's try it. You know, let's try it and see what happens. And then they're always surprised at the results. And once they start seeing the the, you know, reduction, it's kind of crazy. I mean, one of the ways that was really easy to see it was when we um, put it into the OB, uh, we started using ERAS with our deliveries and that it was huge how much, how much less uh, opioids we're actually using in our postpartum and it during delivery and postpartum as well. Right. Okay. So speaking of postpartum, now we're on to the nurses. Um, as you said, you know, once they got out of recovery and they went up to the floor and then the orders were there and they started using it because that's what I tend to see. If you've got a non-steroidal on the profile versus an opioid, most of the time that nurse is going for the opioid. So how did you work with your nursing staff to get them on board and buy in? For the most part, and this was this was very challenging, and I'm not going to say that it doesn't still, that it isn't a, a fight that we still have. Um, it we had to take the orders off of the order sets, essentially. Um, if it's there, unfortunately, that's gonna be the one that is almost always chosen. If you give a choice, especially because, you know, we want our patients to get some sleep in the hospital and it's hard. And so a lot of times there's some of that anxiety and sedation that comes with those opioids that have that additional benefit. And it's hard to not lean on that side of things. Um, so for the most part, we really had to clean up some of our orders so that it wasn't there as an option and they have to call and get an opioid order um, or it's specific parameters that it has to be this before you give the, the opioid uh, to the patient. Right. Okay. That makes so, sense. yeah, so that's been the biggest, I would say that's, you know, getting the providers on board and then, and then um, we, you know, I actually am at an academic center. So uh, we have a lot of learners here. And so uh, we have a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity to call someone to get uh, an order. So we still have issues where, um, you know, we do know that 
you know, the, it, it works in medicine too. If, if mom won't let me, then I'll ask dad type scenarios. So we have those here as well. So it's just, we're in a constant re-education process and trying to make sure that people understand the reason why we're doing this. Right, right. Do you have, when you get your next set of residents, do you have any education that is kind of focused around this so yes, that they all yep. know when they get that call in the middle of the yes. night? Yep. Our anesthesia champions are good about going and meeting. They actually end up doing it about twice a year, actually. Okay. So Reminders. The and then they, yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Yes. Okay, good. That makes sense. And then how do you handle because i've seen on profiles where there might be tylenol around the clock and and you know that's what they're trying to do is to minimize the opioids and then you see the note patient refused and then you see that you know they have the norco or the percocet so is this part of the discussion with the patients and do they like sign something or or repeat back what they're hearing to agree to they don't sign anything, but it is a part of the education process as well. Um, we did specifically do some pamphlets for our ED, for example, because that's another opportunity where we frequently have people that may be looking for a quick fix, uh, maybe because they just got hurt or maybe because they're, you know, yeah. seeking out narcotics or whatever, uh, coming into the ED and because they were you know because that was an, an a very easy point for people to come in and say i just want to get a dose of demerol or whatever and then i'll be on my way um we actually made up some pamphlets explaining that this is the reason why we're not just going to give this to you and it talks about you know the different types of pain different things you know there's a lot of things you can do for, for pain besides just giving a pain medication and as much as i'm a pharmacist and i know we've got some really good things i also know there's a lot of other things that are physical therapy uh colleagues can assist with um you know meditation breathing, all that kind of stuff can really help, but we've got to, we've got to try it and we've got to talk about it. And, um, if we don't talk about it, then, you know, it, it gets missed. It's very easy to miss. So, um, educating those specific patients saying, you know, just because you came in here doesn't mean we don't want to take care of you. We want to take care of you, but we're not just going to automatically write a prescription for you. So a lot of that same conversation is you might not feel like you want to take the Tylenol right now, but this is the reason why we're doing it. We're trying to stay on top of it. We're trying to hit it from different angles, and that's to help us avoid some of the opioids and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And there again, you, we rely on our nursing colleagues who are at the bedside when this comes up. So we really, really have to get nursing buy-in mm -hmm. with all of this. Cause if they don't believe it, then, you know, they, the patient will easily be, it's like, okay, fine, let me call. I'll get you something else. So mm -hmm. we really, really rely on them. Yeah. And honestly, Terry, the other thing is, is sometimes we do need to use those opioids. I mean, yes. we have to keep that in mind as well. There are that this class of drugs is very effective for a reason. And there are yeah. definitely times where it's appropriate to use them. Um, we just went overboard in the mid nineties and we're giving them to everybody for anything and really went over the top. I kind of like to refer to some of my friends that have gone on mission trips and they'll go to, um, you know, Haiti and do surgery on these patients and 
they don't get anything. Or if they do, like, I, I mean, I've donated like Tylenol and ibuprofen. So, and they, if they get a, 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 a Tylenol, they're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So sometimes it's resetting our expectations. I know, I'm sure you've probably had this in one of your many other podcasts talking about how, what a large percentage of the narcotics in the world that we actually utilize in the United States. And it's, right. it's insane. So yeah. sometimes we need to think about resetting the expectation, but also realizing that we do have some of these medications and they are appropriate to be used in certain circumstances as well. So not to automatically ignore that either. Right. Yeah. Well said, well said. Yes. Um, okay, great. Well, thank you for the, the great work that you're doing because it does start all the way at the beginning. And not only that, it's minimizing the use, um, which is maybe impacting somebody that might have been exposed to an opioid for the first time and ended up in trouble, right? So that's, mm -hmm. so we're not only minimizing diversion because our professionals have less access to it, more, less reason to get into it, mm -hmm. but we may be helping somebody who is at risk and then doesn't develop a substance use disorder because they were exposed to it. But also these protocols are, I imagine, giving better outcomes in general, quicker turnaround times, better recovery, all of that type yeah. of stuff. So it's, it's beneficial for multiple reasons, not exactly. just creating diversion. Yeah. Definitely. Yes, definitely. Yeah. The whole kind of the whole package. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's what we should be doing is to be looking to improve, you know, that whole piece of it. So it's great. It's just one piece. The other thing you and I talked about is socializing and networking and how important that is. And that's how you and I met. We met at a yes. conference where we were yes. networking and we shared with each other a couple of stories. And, and my story after I heard yours that I shared with you was that I was at a retirement type of a social party for at the hospital. And I got to talking to somebody in another area as med staff, I believe, and come to find out we were both trying to do something on the same topic, the same initiative, but we had no idea that each other was working on this. And it was definitely something that would have been better ha that we had collaborated on. It was just, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And this right. was just a conversation outside of work, right? That ended up being so valuable. And so we talked about that. And I know you encountered something similar that is also kind of ties in to how we as pharmacists can be beneficial on other teams when it comes to substance use disorder and diversion. So if you could share a little bit about that, that would be great. Sure, sure. So uh, when we met, it was actually at a NADI event, so the National Association of Drug Diversion Investigators, and I am the president for the Nebraska chapter. And so I um, have with my team. Obviously, I've got some great board members that assist as well. Uh, but when we were setting up our um, our state chapter um, for this year, we were looking at who we wanted to come and, and speak. And I have had the pleasure of working with a physician, Dr. Lewis Trevison is his name, and he works, he's, he, works at Yale actually. So he lives in Connecticut, but he is also a, an associate professor uh, at Creighton University. And so I've had an opportunity to work with him as well. And so I asked him if he would be willing to come 
and speak some about substance use disorder because a lot of times when we are talking about diversion, we we have a lot of law enforcement friends as well. And a lot of times we're talking about more of the penalty side of things and that kind of thing. But we also need to acknowledge the fact that, you know, substance use disorder has chemical changes in the brain. We need to do some treatment of that. So I asked him if he would be willing to come and speak. And he was kind enough to uh, come to Omaha and speak uh, for the conference. And as I was visiting with him a little bit after the conference, um, he said he was getting ready to go to a substance use disorder treat, retreat the following day. And I said, oh, well, you know, if you need any, um, any input for some pharmacy colleagues, you know, just let me know. And he was like, oh, well, I would imagine there's some pharmacy people there. And I said, well, maybe there is. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, but if you know, if you need any pharmacy, and he's like, well, I think pharmacy should be there. And so I promptly got a, a an invite uh, to the substance use disorder retreat. And then we have an opioid stewardship uh, pharmacist as well. And she's, uh, she's kind of, you know, very, she's been really helpful as far as a lot of some of our protocols and that kind of thing that we've been working with also. And so the two of us got kind of got an invite last minute, but it was great because we were working with a, with the whole behavioral health substance use disorder retreat and or the substance use disorder team. And it was great because at the end of the day, we all went around the table and talked about like, what we were most thankful for because so much good conversation came out of this and you know probably at least a third of the people that were there said the the interprofessional collaboration is great because it's we also had someone from OT there that specializes in behavioral health and it, it's just amazing how many resources are out there that you don't even necessarily know about if they're not in your specialty so it ended up being really good we we've had continued um, uh, involvement in the substance use disorder uh, committee. Uh, we're getting some art education together. Uh, we actually just had another meeting this week. And uh, so yeah, it's been it's been really good. But I, I am a talker, as you know, Terry, so I find myself in those situations a lot. And it's amazing how just having those, you know, hey, did you, oh, are you from wherever? I know so-and-so. And it's amazing how many times those social social sites um, can just get get things hooked up. And it's amazing how, how frequently things can happen and people can get more done when they work together. Right, yeah. Well, that's a clear example of you are the diversion officer, but more importantly, you are the champion you're the diversion prevention champion. And I you know, say that that is one of the key pieces to a solid program because you need that person that is constantly, it's injected into whatever conversation or it's on the top of mind every time something comes up and how can we do this better or collaborate more? And so I think that's just a perfect example of, of how that champion that gets involved in socializing and networking and stuff can be so, so valuable. You don't even realize the value until 
the conversation starts, right? Right, exactly. Out of it. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So on that note, if you would like to do a shout out for Natty's annual conference that is coming yes. up, you go right ahead, President. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, Natty's national conference is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It's October 24th through the 27th. And I am very excited to go again this year. We always have a really good um, group of speakers that come. It's a it's a lot of healthcare folks. So it's a lot of law enforcement folks. It's amazing how we work together and looking at different different cases from different perspectives. What you can learn from each other. Uh, it, it's just it's it's a uh, it's something that I am very passionate about. So uh, yeah, it's it's great. So I would encourage anyone that's interested to sign up for that conference. Yeah, well, I'll see you there. I'll be there. Yes, great. I'm actually Yay. presenting uh, with the team, so looking Very forward good. to that. We're going to try to shake it up a little bit, maybe be a little controversial. So, Ooh, I love uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Joni. I've enjoyed our conversation and thank you for being willing to share with all the listeners out there the type of stuff that you guys are doing. Thanks, Terry. I appreciate it. Thanks for giving me a chance to yippee, yippee, yip. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> My husband's like, oh, shoot, I got a break today. <laughs> That's great. All right. All right. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank okay, you. Okay, you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.